Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We have started going through the book of Colossians. Uh, we've been going through, a, started a series there. We've got, we're be, we will be going through, taking a one-week detour from Colossians to be in Luke chapter um, 15, verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, this was something that last week, as I was preparing for that week's sermon, um, I just really started to feel like this was a message that God was leading me to, to even though we were in the middle of Colossians. Uh, and so I, that's why I mentioned last week we'd be somewhere else this week. So we're in Luke, and we're, the title of this one is, Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And, and so if you remember in December, oh, that rhymed. If you remember in December, we had uh, talked about this idea of the gospel in our town and wanting to have gospel conversations and to, to have the intention of talking to people talking to people with the intention of sharing the gospel with them, not just inviting them to church, not just giving them a gospel tract, but to, to share and present the gospel. It might not get that far. They might shut it down. They may not want to talk to you about it. Um, they may already be a believer, then you just didn't know it. Um, but your intention was to share the gospel with them. If you do that, that's a gospel conversation. And what we want to do and what we've really been trying to promote in the whole association is to have gospel conversations and to track those in our churches to see how well we share the gospel because we, we track things in, in our association and in our churches like baptisms or, or salvations or church membership, but those things don't reflect what you need to do to see salvations. You can't see salvations without what? Proclaiming the gospel. And so we want to see how well we're doing the things it takes to lead to salvations. And so our goal is not only will we see where we're at and so see we can see where we want to be, but that that will, in the first place, encourage us that we need to take part in doing this. So what you're going to see over by the offices is a bulletin board with the, the, uh, the gospel in our town. And what you're going to do is anytime you have a gospel conversation, you can just take one of those push pins or thumbtacks, put it on the bulletin board. And our goal is to see how many throughout this next year and however long we do this, how many gospel conversations we can have. Our goal is to have as many as we do as many as we can, as many as we're able. So that's what we're seeking to do this year, and that's out there. So if you've had any since December when we talked about that, that's kind of why I waited to put the display up, is it gives us a little cushion. Hopefully you've had some. We can go ahead and start with some on there. Uh, so if you have had any, you can put some, gospel co- or some, some thumbtacks on there for the gospel conversations you've had. But today's sermon is something that kind of goes in coordination with that. This idea of who's your one. It's another idea of how we can uh, proclaim the gospel, how we can seek the lost. And we're really going to look at Luke chapter 15 and and what Jesus said in this chapter as we get into this idea. And we're going to understand by the end of this of of who's your one. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, with me, for I have found my sheep 
that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. Lord, I, th- I thank You for this time that we can gather together to look at Your Word, to see what it says to us. And God, I pray as we look at this story of the lost sheep, this parable that, that is, is found in Luke chapter 15, Lord, I pray that You will convict us, You will show us the truth about what it, what it means. You'll help us to see exactly what Jesus is saying in the situation. Lord, I pray that You'll help us to apply it to our lives, that we can seek to, to follow you obediently today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first I want to set the scene as we get into this chapter. Luke chapter 15 is often referred to as the gospel in the gospel. Right? So Luke is one of the four gospels, right? And the gospel story is contained there. But in Luke chapter 15, we really see a picture of what the gospel is, of what the heart of God is in Jesus coming to earth. Jesus coming to be the Savior of the world. The, the seeking of what is lost. And it's for that reason it's often also called the lost chapter. Not because it's lost. It's right here. It's in my Bible. I hope it's in yours. But the lost sheep followed by the lost coin followed by the prodigal son. Which, if you want to think about it, he was lost to the Father for a period of time as well. It's a a pretty hefty chapter right there with a lot of of heavy stories that that really tell the truth of the gospel. We also see that this point in Luke is a turning point in his relationship with the Pharisees. And when we think about the Pharisees, I often, you almost just kind of think of them as a perpetual bad guy, right? These people consistently disliked and came against Jesus. But the, bit, the book of Luke tells us a little bit different of a, of a story of that because the Pharisees were interested, right? Just like we would be interested. If, if someone came proclaiming and draw, drew thousands of people to hear them preach, well, what's this guy talking about? I want to hear what they have to say. And, and so they go and they listen. And, and the only negative thing, or one of the few negative things you see about the, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, that comes before this. But he said that to his disciples. He didn't say that publicly. We even see that in Luke chapter 13, the Pharisees warned Jesus that Herod was trying to kill him. So the the Pharisees and Jesus were not from the very beginning outright enemies. They didn't hate Jesus from the beginning. I think this chapter is the turning point of that. In In a chapter or two previous, Jesus had been at the Pharisees' house eating dinner. They'd invited him there. They warned him about Herod coming to kill him. But here we see the crowds are coming to him. He's preaching. He's proclaiming truth. And what what do the Pharisees say? They grumbled, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the Pharisees hated tax collectors and sinners that gathered around Jesus. See, these were people who the Pharisees looked down upon. Tax collectors in particular were kind of viewed as traitors because these were likely Jewish people that were tax collectors for the Roman government. So it means they have went on the side of who the Pharisees viewed as the enemy. They were the oppressors of the Jewish people coming in, being lords over them when they didn't want that to happen. And here these tax collectors are who have joined the side of those who are oppressing the Jewish people, and oftentimes, maybe unfairly taxing people, taking some to put in their pocket. 
viewed as dishonest and greedy people. So tax collectors and sinners. And, and there's a little bit with that idea of sinners. What does that mean? Does it mean particularly sinful people that had public sin that was widespread and acknowledged? That's possible, and I'm sure those people certainly did associate with Jesus. But it seems that they're almost anybody that wasn't in their rank they looked down upon is not worth being with them. They had a kind of a rule among themselves that they did not associate, make deals with, lend money to, eat meals with people that were not at a certain level that they deemed as worthy. The Pharisees definitely had a superiority complex, if you will, when it came to these people. They had an awful attitude about the people that Jesus is interacting with, these tax collectors and sinners. See, the Pharisees, their view of these people that Jesus is interacting with is not how can we get these people to turn to God. They're not awaiting the repentance or the salvation of the sinner. They are awaiting the destruction of the sinner. They look at these tax collectors and sinners and they wait for the day that they get what they deserve. That they have disobeyed God, that they have not followed Him, and that they are waiting for their punishment. While all along the time they wait for what they deem will be their worthy reward. They had an awful, terrible attitude. And sadly, within today, there are many people who would claim the title of Christian that can have similar attitudes. That when they deal with the world, when they deal with lost people, it is, it is filled with a disgust and despising of them. Not a, a disgust and despising of the sin they walk in, but of the people themselves. We have to be careful when people claim to be Christians and, and they walk in such hateful and hypocritical, right? That's what he said, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocritical, is of being hypocrites. Because they viewed themselves as righteous and not needing saving when really they needed saving as well. But they had this terrible, awful, sinful, hateful attitude toward these people that were interacting with Jesus. And so Jesus told them this parable, the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost sheep. So in this story, we see primarily the lost sheep. You think about that and... and and you read this, and there's some things I think that get lost to us. This idea of the open country is this safe place where the 99 are. All, right, all of the 99 are safe. They're in where they're supposed to be, but there's one missing. Now think about this. These are shepherds. So what is their job? To, to herd the sheep. Their whole life, everything they do, their livelihood is these sheep that they are shepherding. And so can you imagine if one out of 99 goes missing? It's their responsibility. Oftentimes, these weren't just sheep that were theirs and theirs alone. They might have been communal. There were several families or people that relied upon these sheep for their livelihood, for the support of their community, for the well-being of their community, and one goes missing. This is not the same thing as something small going missing. This is a big deal. This is a large part of their possession. If, if you were to lose a tenth of what you had, Think about your net worth, whatever it is. If you had that in liquid money, you sold all your assets, you had what you had, whatever you're worth, but a tenth of it goes, or no, not a tenth, 1% of it goes missing. You're going to look for it. You're not going to be, it's not going to be a, a nothing to you. And, and at this time, the shepherd, 
This is what one of the the commentaries says. The shepherd was personally responsible for the sheep. If If a sheep was lost, the shepherd must at least bring home the fleece to show how it had died. Their responsibility was that they would keep the sheep that was given to them. That they would go to great lengths to protect them. And so what happens? He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep would not seek after the one who's lost when the other are safe? So the, the shepherd seeks after the sheep. This is part of the job. This is what they are expected to do. And shepherds could and did track their sheep across all the hills and miles and miles that they would, they would wander and they would go and find them, often putting their lives at risk for their sheep. We can think of a famous shepherd in the Old Testament that talked about how he went to bat and how he went to rescue his one sheep that might be missing. First Samuel seventeen thirty four through 35, when he's preparing to go to fight Goliath, he's telling uh, Saul why he's ready. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, but when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb, one lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That was David. Before he was David, the one who slayed Goliath, before he was David the king, he was David the shepherd, who when one lamb went missing, I don't know about you, but me personally, if I had been in that situation, I'd be like, well, that's, that's really sad for that lamb. That was a lion. Did you see that? That was a bear. And I would hope that my family would understand. But David and other shepherds went after the missing sheep. They went after the one that was lost. And I don't know that all of them were taking down bears and lions, but they would seek after their missing sheep. And in this story, he, he finds the sheep. And what does he do? He takes the sheep, he places it on his shoulders, walks back, and he, he says, hey, friends, family, come out, celebrate with me. I've found my sheep that was missing. I've got it back. Have you thought about, have you ever had those moments where you're, you're about to go do something? It always happens to me, um, maybe the night before traveling, where you're like, oh, for this particular flight, I might need my birth certificate. Where's my birth certificate? I don't know where that's at. And you look and you look, or maybe it's, it's I remember being in high school and I had my backpack and I wasn't particularly organized in my backpack and I had my papers in there and I would go in and I would be, they'd be like, it's time to turn in your homework assignment and you're looking and you're going through there and you look through this folder four times and the fourth time you finally find that assignment that's due. It's, it's a wave of relief. It's a, it's a sensation of relief of all the stress that's going on. And he, so he finds a sheep and they rejoice. He says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people that don't need repentance. And, and what we see in this story that's so clear is who is who in the story. There's a lost sheep. One that is strayed from where they should be. That's us. We are sinners. And the the, the Pharisees were as well, and they just didn't realize it. But we are sinners in need of, of someone to save us. This sheep has wandered off. It doesn't know where it's supposed to be. It's going the wrong direction. And probably the more that it tries to find its way back, the more it wanders into trouble and away from where it needs to be. But there's a shepherd. One who cares for the sheep. One who intervenes, who who goes after, seeks, and saves the sheep from its demise. That's Jesus. Jesus came not to be with the 99 that were safe. They They can be where they are, but He goes 
after the one that is lost. At great cost to himself, just as the shepherds might have great cost to themselves, he laid his life down so that we might be saved. And it says, just as this, there is more, just, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I want you to think about that. I think sometimes we, we have become so accustomed, I don't really know what the issue is with us, but when one sinner repents and is saved, there is rejoicing in heaven. We should rejoice within our hearts. We should be filled with joy when someone comes to salvation. It should fill us with it should be so exciting. We should come together and celebrate. And there have been too many times in my life where I've seen salvation and people just kind of good for you. That's that's so cool that you made that decision. This is the dead brought to life. This is the lost being saved. This is something that heaven rejoices over. And so we should rejoice as well. So how can we apply this to our lives? Well, we aren't Jesus, so we're not the shepherd. This was specifically related to Jesus and His reason for coming. He was criticizing the Pharisees who thought they were the righteous that needed no repentance. And He's telling them, listen, there's more rejoicing over the lost being saved than those who didn't need repentance. And And through it all, he's trying to show them, especially when you get to the end of the prodigal son, the older brother that pouts. He's trying to show them, you also need to be saved. So the Pharisees are criticizing this reaction. This is Jesus' response to them, saying that, listen, God wants to save that which is lost. That's what he's concerned about. And that is what Jesus was concerned about. So we are not Jesus. We are not people who can save. We are not shepherds that can intervene in, in the lives of others and save them, but God has given us and entrusted us with the task, and that is being the witnesses of Christ in all the earth. So we aren't Jesus. We don't have this high place. We are not like the Pharisees. We cannot be the Pharisees. We can't look at people and say, these poor sinners, if they would only be like me, Well, what you are is a lost sheep that was found. And so we should pray that they will become like us. And how do they become that way? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Okay, so we aren't the sheep. We aren't the shepherd. But there's a lot of lost sheep. There's a lot of people that need to be saved, that need to hear the good news of the gospel. And so he has entrusted us with the task of proclaiming this good news, that there is a shepherd, there is one who cares for you, who loves you, who did come, who did make a way for you to be saved. That if you'll confess, confess Him as your Lord and Savior, if you will admit your sin to Him, if you will, you will believe and you'll confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. Not because you went to church enough, not because you, you, you said the right things, not because you tried to be a good person, but because you believed in Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. You can be saved. That's the message we're entrusted with. So we're called to be His witnesses. So that does mean that we should seek after the sheep, not as people who are doing the saving, but as people who are leading them to the One who can save. 
And so I want you to think specifically about this parable. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. In your life, who is your one? It's the title of the sermon, but who is your one? If there's one person that you know is far from God, it's a lost sheep that needs to be saved, who is that person? Let that sit in your heart for a moment. Let that weigh heavy on you for a moment. Who is your one? And what I want to challenge you with this year as we're doing the gospel in our town, as we try to have gospel conversations throughout our everyday life, when we encounter someone, we talk to them, but I want you to think about one person that if that person came to Christ, it would, it would mean the most to you. And it, you know what? I don't think that's wrong. We should be joy to, joyful over every salvation, but there might be someone that you particularly want to see come to Christ. Who is that person? So what I want you to do is I want you to commit this year to praying for your one. Will you commit to pray for them, to, to genuinely pray for them? Remember that first sermon we went through in Colossians that we don't just pray for people when they're sick. We pray powerful things. We would ask that God would convict them of sin in life, that God would work in their hearts, that God would transform, that He would help them to see His goodness, help them to see their need for Him. Pray for them. Genuinely pray for them. Will you commit to that for your one? Will you engage in their life? Sometimes this is hard. This is the part of sharing the gospel we don't like to do, where, where we have to take a step into someone's life. We have to step a little bit because we risk the point of stepping on their toes. Where we step in, we, we get into life with them. We laugh with them, we cry with them, we're joyful with them. Not because they're a project, but because you love them. You see them the way that God sees them. They have a value that you want to, to help them to understand. You want them to help them understand the value that they have. You want to help them to understand their need for salvation more than anything else. You want to help them understand that they need Christ. And because of that, you meet them where they are and you engage with them in their life. You do things, whatever you can, to lead them toward the Savior. And not just the little things, not just getting involved in their life, but you share the gospel with them. You tell them about their need for a Savior. You tell them about what their Savior has done for them so that they can repent and believe. But you don't stop there. If you get to the point where your one comes to salvation and you rejoice with all of heaven, you disciple them. You teach them to follow after Christ. You teach them to do the same thing that you have done. To seek after that which is lost for the sake of them knowing Christ. I want to share an example with you. So I have to be honest with you, this is not my idea. This is not something from my brain. Um, right now, actually, the North American Mission Board, this is a whole campaign. You can see the poster that came from them. But 15 years ago, when I was in middle school, I, I, I had to put that in there. I saw some head shaking. But 15 years ago when I was in middle school, or maybe I was a freshman in high school, our pastor preached 
Not this sermon. I didn't steal it from him, but it was this passage. And it was, who is your one? And I knew exactly who my one was. It was a guy I went to school with. He didn't go to church, was not raised in church, didn't claim to be a Christian, which from the town I was from, most people said they were Christians even if they never went to church. It's kind of how it was. And so he was my one. And so I, you know, I talked to him all the time anyway about it, tried to get him, I tried to get him to come to church with me. I tried to talk to him about why he didn't believe. And he just didn't see a need for it. I got him a Bible, gave it to him. And, and he came to church with me and, and he's just like, yeah, you know, I, I just don't really get it. I don't really see why I need to believe. As many of you know, and for many of you, this has been a really rough couple weeks. Um, we've had so much sickness. We've had loss in our congregation. I had a former youth of mine that passed away. It's been a rough couple weeks. And it was, you know, we canceled church in person last week because of sickness, not trying to keep it spreading around as it seemed like it was going around. And I got a phone call Monday. And it was from the guy that was my one. Now, I actually already told you this is the guy that did come to salvation. I mentioned that before when he talked to one of my other friends, but I hadn't got to talk to him since then. He was calling me to talk about our 10-year reunion that's coming up for high school. And, and he also was like, hey, man, I, I hadn't got to talk to you, but I got baptized. I got saved. And, man, if, if God does not know how to meet us where we are, that after all the things that have been happening, it can be discouraging, it can be hard. But to get that phone call that I was already working on this sermon. This was already where I was going. And, and here's God saying, hey, listen, the one you prayed for came to salvation. It was 15 years later and not because you, you, you talked to him, but he came to salvation. And we talked for probably 45 minutes. He's like, yeah, I still have that Bible you gave me. And he goes all, he's like, man, I don't know how I live without this. You know how it happened? This is why these things work together. A guy that was one of his clients shared the gospel with him, challenged him. He said, I know you drive a lot. Listen to this podcast. Talks about some things. Talks about the Bible. Got involved in a church. Heard the gospel and was saved. I'm not saying that this is a one year from now, if you decide someone's your one, they're going to be saved next year and it's going to be wonderful. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that God is faithful. But He's faithful when we're obedient. And so we have to share the gospel. We have to have gospel conversations. And, and I want to challenge you to think about who is your one? Who is the person that you want to see come to salvation? And really, if you, if, even if that's all we did, even if you only had one person that you could lead to Christ and disciple them, that is far better than if you yourself and you only could lead a person to Christ every day and didn't disciple them. I'm going to show you how this works. Okay? On the screen, you're going to see an, an image of, a, of multiplication or addition. And I know those, those numbers are kind of small, maybe. But if you add one convert every day, or reproduce one disciple every year. So what does this mean? If you just get someone to pray a prayer, be baptized, and they sit in a pew. That's all they do. 
You don't teach them how to make disciples. You don't disciple them. You don't lead them. If, if you do that, and you do that every single day, that's 365 people that were led to Christ. But if you make a disciple every year, for the first many years, clearly addition is going to, to win out. But once you start getting to year 12 or 13, the results are exponential. We can't just expect that a few people can make disciples, and that's all that it works. And we can't expect that those people, once they get saved, can just stay as they are. We have to not just lead people to Christ, but teach them to follow Him, to be disciples, that make disciples. And so that's what I want you to think about, is if you have your one, Right? If we had 50 people that said, I'm going to have a one. I, ha- I know who it is. I know that this person, who they are, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to commit to trying to do what I can to lead them to Christ. Even if only a few people are successful. But that person becomes a disciple. They are led to follow Christ. And they have a one. And they know people that need Christ. Over time, the multiplication of disciples making disciples who make disciples is far better than simple addition. And so I want to challenge you, and I want to end by asking you, who is your one? But before you can answer that question, you need to make sure that you have met the one who saves. A lost sheep can't lead a lost sheep back home. You have to know Christ. You have to have been saved. You have to know Him, have a relationship with Him to understand that He has come after you to save you before you can lead anyone else back to Him. One of my favorite quotes I've heard is is that we're just beggars pointing other beggars to where the bread is. You can't do that if you don't know where the bread is. Have you encountered Christ? Have you, not just have you been to church, not just do you say, yeah, I believe there's a God. Yeah. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sin? Do you understand your sinfulness? Do you understand your need for Him? Have you asked Him to save you? Have you repented? You said, Lord, I want to follow you, not my own way. Because before you can help anyone else know Christ, you have to know Him yourself. And if that's you this morning, I would challenge you, don't wait another day. Seek Christ today. But if you do know Him, who is your one? Not that that's the only person you engage with. Not that you don't try to talk to others. But who is the person that you're going to commit to and pray for this year? beyond this year, until Christ saves them. Who is your one? During this time, we're going to have an invitation, and I want to challenge you to pray for your one. And here's the thing, you might be sitting here, I don't have one, I don't know. That is a call to open your eyes and look around. Because everywhere you go, there are lost people. 
that need salvation. And if you don't know someone, that you can make your one. All you have to do is talk to a few people and you'll find somebody that needs Jesus. And so maybe you don't have one that you can commit to today. Commit to finding somebody. But use this time of invitation to pray for your one, to pray for yourself that you'll be obedient to following through, to seeking after them. The altar will be open for prayer and I'll be down front for prayer as well. And if you need to accept Christ or have any other questions or or prayer concerns, I'm here for you during this time. But let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and this time that we can come together. And Lord, that I, pr- I pray that as we have this time, Lord, that you will just convict each of us in our hearts to see others as you see them. To see people who have strayed from you, who, people who are lost, and, and just seek after them. God, I pray that as we pray for people together, as we seek after people together, that you will be in our efforts, that you will help us lead people to you that you will draw them to yourself, Lord, that we can be a part of that, that we will be obedient. God, I pray that if there is any who does not have a relationship with you this morning, that today will be the day they turn their life over to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.